two here. Uh, we said very first week that we're fundamentally desiring or worshiping or loving creatures and that we move through the world not purely in a rational way, maybe not even primarily rational or cognitive way, uh, but that, that more than anything, we act on what we want. We, we move towards that which we love. And so our, our habits and practices uh, that we form along those lines impact us in that way. They're, they are... They have everything to do with our loves. Do we have enough handouts? Do you want me to you, you can have that. I think we're okay. Maybe five, yeah. Just me. Yeah, great. Uh, and so uh, we, we want to take seriously that we are those desiring, loving creatures. And that's why, and I just, as even just getting to study this myself this semester just become more and more convinced of the the significant, even vital role of these sorts of practices that would get at our desires in ways that just pure pure effort or uh, just self-will in the moment are not going to do. Uh, and so that these are significant ways then that we can uh, get in the way of the Spirit's work in our lives. Ways in which Jesus promises to give himself to us and so these practices are ways where we put forward effort to get ourselves in the way of God's grace uh, and the way in which he changes us and remakes the image of God in us. So the last time I'll read these three quotes. Uh, grace is opposed to earning, not to effort. By the way, this is random. The Great Omission, this book by Willard, is two ninety nine today on Kindle. I saw that this morning. So uh, if you want to pick that up today for the Kindle, uh, three bucks worthwhile uh, and then another quote from uh, from that same book we must seek out ways to live and act in union with the flow of God's kingdom life that should come through our relationship with Jesus and then a great quote from Tom Wright that gets at how this connects even to Easter Christian holiness consists not of trying as hard as we can to be good but of learning to live in the new world created by Easter really helpful quote uh, okay, so this week we're going to move into this final topic of rest in general. Uh, I've got some quotes on here that, that get at the experience of busyness as if we needed to recount what this is like. Uh, we're going to do it anyway. Uh, one there from uh, the Fellowship of the Ring. This is Bilbo to Gandalf early on. I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. That's vivid language. That probably many of us, I'm assuming, can identify with in here. And then I have multiple quotes here from an article that was this is from Tim Kreider called The Busy Trap. And this was an article in the New York Times, I think, two years ago. And I have a little shortened link there for you because the whole thing's worth reading. Uh, it's very insightful. Uh, here's, here's a selection of it. It's almost always people whose lamented busyness is purely self-imposed. Work and obligations they've taken on voluntarily, classes and activities they've encouraged their kids to participate in. <clears throat> they're busy because of their own ambition or drive or anxiety, because they're addicted to busyness and dread what they might have to face in its absence. Almost everyone I know is busy. They feel anxious and guilty when they aren't either working or doing something to promote their work. They schedule in time with friends the way students with 4.0 GPAs make sure to sign up for community service because it looks good on their college applications. Then he says, speaks of the children here. Every ch even children are busy now, scheduled down to the half hour with classes and extracurricular activities. They come home at the end of the day as tired as grown-ups. 
And then uh, as to a reason as to why this is the case, the present hysteria is not a necessary or inevitable condition of life. It's something we've chosen, if only by our acquiescence to it. And then this is probably the best quote in the whole article. Busyness serves as a kind of existential reassurance, a hedge against emptiness. Obviously, your life cannot possibly be silly or trivial or meaningless if you're so busy, completely booked, in demand every hour of the day. And then, uh, so a great quote as to where we're going and why this uh, should be a practice that we take seriously and listen to from Calhoun. She says, rest is a radical thing in our day and age. And we'll talk some about this, even the, the difficulty of uh, justifying rest to your peers, neighbors, co-workers, uh, and how much that often feels like sloth and the, uh, the difficulty to overcome that. Okay, so what do we mean when we say rest here? Uh, I'm going to use the, this term Sabbath a good bit, and we will qualify that appropriately when we get to this section on the biblical passages. But I want you just to think rest right now. Sabbath is God's gift of repetitive and regular rest. It is given for our delight and communion with God. Time for being in the midst of a life of doing particularly characterizes the Sabbath. By the way, you'll notice a lot of overlap with these, uh, with what we talk about with our discussions of silence and solitude as well. Much overlap there. And then a quote from a great book that I highly recommend on this topic that's beautifully written and really insightful and helpful, Mark Buchanan's The Rest of God. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It is both time on a calendar and a disposition of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much a way we see. Sabbath imparts the rest of God, actual physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also the rest of God. The things of God's nature and presence we miss in our busyness. In the beginning of this book, he talks about how what he really is wanting to do is uh, is is change the way that we even view our need of rest and, and recast our imaginations in terms of what rest is all about. But then helpfully, he says, and this could be a summary for this entire semester, he says this about practices, the need of practices in conjunction with changing how we think. He says, without practices, without gestures with which to honor fresh ways of perceiving any change of mind will be superficial, artificial, short-lived. Good practices are both catalysts and incubators for new thoughts. They initiate them and they nurture them. But they do even more. They make real our change of mind. That, that's everything we've talked about this semester. And I think that's a great connection between this change of mind and how it plays out in these practices as well. And so the whole of that book is, is it's divided up into these chapters that have a section up front that's sort of a meditation or just a discussion about a particular aspect of rest. And then he has what he calls a Sabbath liturgy at the that's like one page at the end of each chapter that gives some uh, some actual practices and ways in which you can implement these things. So it's a fantastic book, really, really great and worth reading. Uh, OK, biblical passages. We'll start with Genesis. Uh, this is in the creation account. We should rest most basically because God rests. He gives us this pattern. This is the seventh day after the six days of creation. Thus, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done 
and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And then this next section is the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments here, uh, the commandment on Sabbath. And what's interesting about this is that in the Exodus account of the Ten Commandments, differing from the Deuteronomy account, is that this one is grounded in creation. Uh, The reason given, uh, the reason we should do this here is because God himself rests. And so that is our pattern. Uh, In Deuteronomy, he talks more about the release from slavery, which is really, and again, in that Buchanan book, he does a great job of talking about both aspects of that, rooted in creation as well as being freed uh, from slavery. So here's what, uh, even if you just look at the, at verse 11 there of Exodus 20. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Uh, what we're not going to do is get into uh, debates as to how the fourth commandment continues to apply now. You can talk to Darwin about that. He'd be happy to. That's not uh, about to ask. Yeah. Um, I, I have the Heidelberg down here because I think that does a, a great job of, um, even a better job of taking the ongoing character of the fourth commandment and bringing it. Uh, through the New Testament and through the finished work of Jesus as well, in ways in which he's completed uh, and fulfilled the Sabbath in some ways. Uh, So I've got that down for you. We'll look at that quickly here. What is God's will for us in the fourth commandment? First, that the gospel ministry and education for it be maintained, and that, especially on the festive day of rest, I regularly attend the assembly of God's people to learn what God's word teaches, to participate in the sacraments, to pray to God publicly, and to bring Christian offerings for the poor. So real emphasis on worship in this time. Second, that every day of my life, I rest from my evil ways. Let the Lord work in me through the spirit and so begin in this life, the eternal Sabbath. And then you think of Hebrews four there where uh, we enter into this rest that, that is a picture of the eternal rest in which we will all enjoy in the end. So um, what I do want to emphasize, though, is that that initial Sabbath command is creational. And so I think there is something uh, there's something important. And we'll talk about this a bit later on and that our rest images our God. Part of reflecting the image of God includes this part of the, the, the some aspect of rest because God himself rested. So we are to rest as well. And it's important to realize that God created us with these creaturely limits that aren't a part of the fall. We have physical limits. We have all kinds of creaturely limits that won't go away in the new heavens and the new earth. So there's something good and creational about our limits, about the need for rest. I've had people ask, why do you think God requires or made us in such a way where we need sleep? I think like that is one of the most dependent or one of the ways that we show our dependence on God more than anything else. So you can't just keep going. You have to rest. You're completely vulnerable in those moments. And you have to give yourself to at least an implicit trust in God in that, that you will wake up again. All right. Um, so the, the point is that even if we don't hold to a strict Sabbatarian view, and I know some people do, uh, we still need to talk about the practice of rest. Okay. And I think uh, practicing it as a spiritual discipline in particular is important. Uh, so, OK, so I have some passages from the Psalms and then some from the Gospels. We'll move through these um, rather quickly here. 
from the Psalms. Psalm 4. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You've put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. So connection there between lying down and sleep and then trusting in God's protection. Psalm 4610. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. And then uh, an interesting phrase in Psalm 90 that has to do with how we would order our time. Uh, And we just in thinking of time in general, this is important. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom, which would uh, pertain indirectly to, to Sabbath and rest. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Psalm 116. And then this great section from Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. And then Psalm 131, this great picture of what rest can look like. But I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Uh, let's take a look, uh, maybe a, a few more, the, or a few more minutes at those uh, psalm, those psalm passages. Uh, what sort of images are brought forward here about who God is, who we are, and the significance of rest? Just some general observations from these passages. And I'm a real task-oriented kind of person, Uh and I like busyness, but I honestly believe when we rest, we show to ourselves, to others, and to God our true trust. Yeah. It is like paying a tithe. Yeah. A tithe of time that says, I am trusting you completely, that in all of the busyness and all of the tasks that need to be done, that you are ultimately... Sovereign yes. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And that's I think that Psalm 127 passage really gets at that because there's this difference between uh, pursuing these things, uh, rising up early, going late to rest and, and eating this bread of anxious toil, just kind of gripping your hands and thinking, I've got to keep doing, keep doing, keep doing. Uh, set opposite that as an alternative perspective on our lives Uh, is resting in God, the one who is building the house, recognizing that if he's not building it, then we're laboring in vain. Unless he's watching over the city, it's vain that we would stay awake and try and protect things. And then that beautiful last phrase, for he gives to his beloved sleep. We can rest because of, of of his control. Yeah, so that connects to that embodied trust. Yeah, James. I was going to say medically, if you don't rest or sleep, that your immune system starts to weaken. You lose consciousness of what you're doing. Your thinking goes blurry. Yeah. And then you wind up in a depraved, as a depraved person, depraved of your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's a great point. That there is a there are physical repercussions. Yeah, to a lack of rest, your body breaks down. Yeah, that's great. Any other thoughts? Yeah, Matt. I think we can, we can rest confidently because he's not. 
Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's great. Let's look at these uh, passages from the Gospels. I've just pulled out two for us to look at that pertain to this topic as well. Uh, Familiar words there from Jesus in Matthew 11. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, How does Jesus provide rest? What sort of rest is he talking about here, do you think? How does he enable us to rest? Okay, yeah. Yeah, resting in the Father's hands and that Jesus has revealed the Father to us. Uh, And so, yeah, there's there's an aspect of of seeing who God is more clearly and more vividly so that we actually could put ourselves in the hands of that Father. What else? Yes, yeah, yeah. If he can provide this rest where we, we are not... Uh, any longer having to uh, wrongly think that we could attain God's favor by doing, 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 doing. And for him to provide forgiveness and and this declaration of acceptance, full love and pardon uh, changes the perspective that we would view our lives with. Even um, and not just trying to earn favor before God, but just thinking uh, in a kind of horizontal relational way. That I don't have to continue to justify my existence before everybody else because my identity is wrapped up in what Jesus has done. Yeah, well, as you can imagine, talk more about that. Brian, another big yeah. part of that would be the, the idea of being free from fear, free from anxiety. Those things that cause us to really that take rest away from us and yeah. allow us to rest. Yeah. We live in those states and that God alone provides you know, the answer to those things. Yeah, you can be confident that in the end, uh, everything is going to be okay. <laughs> it's an absolute certainty that in the end, God is is going to complete his work in this world and we will be with him in glory and that he is working even these difficult things for our good right now. Yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, Max and then Rebecca. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, not that, not very well, maybe. Uh, I think of like Psalm 32 and David's struggle with his unconfessed sin. Uh, he was not very restful in that state uh, because his conscience wasn't clear before God. And the reason for that wasn't because uh, it wasn't just his sin per se. It was the fact that he had sinned and he had not confessed it. He had not acknowledged it yet before God in order to receive the forgiveness that that would uh, inevitably result from that. 
And so, yeah, I think unconfessed sin would be a huge way in which uh, our arrest could be prevented or prohibited, inhibited. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting counterpart is he says, learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly, and you'll find rest. The indi- indication is if you learn to be humble, you'll find rest. So mm-hmm. it's the counterpart of busyness, the busyness of putting myself forward, the business of exalting myself, self-preservation, all of that. It, it kills you. Yeah. But to walk humbly frees you. Yeah. You Go mentioned ahead. that you can have faith that in the end everything will resolve. Mm-hmm. I think you could just back that up per daily. You know, you can have faith that by the end of each day, He will allow you to do the things you need to do, and then pass the next things on to the next day. You don't have to wait too like further down the line. Yeah. It's going to resolve itself. I think. You yeah, insofar as we can, we can be faithful in what God's called us to in this particular day. And I'm thinking that that might still result in a situation where you have to say no to things that you'd really like to do or that would really benefit you, your career or whatever. But uh, that's not what God calls us to in that particular day. And so that's, I mean, in a Matthew 6 kind of sense that, that worry about what you're called to today. Walk with the Lord, be faithful in this day. There is definitely that aspect at the end of the day to say, I'm, I need to recognize limits and what God's called me to do, be faithful in those things and leave the results to him. Friend, uh, yeah. Just spin off of what Darwin said a minute ago. The Matthew part is so attractive because it, it's built around relationship. Mm-hmm. And out of the relationship, the more I grow in my relationship with the Lord, the more comfortable I am in that. And that prompts whatever actions he wants to lead me into, as opposed to, I've got to earn that relationship yeah. by all the doing, which creates the busyness and, and the failure, at least in my behalf, of trying to earn some kind of relationship. The relationship is there. Yeah. Grow with it. Yeah. Let, it let, let the actions flow out of it. Yeah. Yeah, great point. Yeah. Yeah, Rebecca and then Margaret had... I was just going to say, this was said in the context of the Pharisees also. Yeah. And the yoke that they had put on the people by their religious outward, you got to do, you got to do, you got to do, Jesus was making a contrast to that. You know, let go of that. Yeah. My yoke is so easy. Yeah. My burden is so light. Even doing hard, hard things. Right. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. Yeah, great point. Yeah. Margaret, do you want to oh, jump? I was just equating rest with peace. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's, yeah, back to that Psalm 4 passage. That's exactly what's there in peace. I can lie down in sleep. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to this next passage in Luke 10. This is Jesus with Mary and Martha. We'll just look at this briefly. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted by much serving. 
And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. A couple quick thoughts about this. What's really interesting is that Martha is distracted by something good. She's preparing to she she wants to serve Jesus. Jesus is coming to her house. And so what she's going to do is make this a fantastic meal for him and prepare everything just like every single one of us would be doing. And yet Jesus still says, no, what Mary is doing is the is the good thing is the better thing, even in this case. Yes. Yeah. Another instance of that. We talked some about that in the context of silence and solitude. Uh, in that uh, Jesus withdraws at times when he had the opportunity to do more healing, to do more ministry, and yet he still saw fit to withdraw and to spend time in communion with his father. And so it's saying it's saying no to good things uh, is what I want us to see there. Uh, and then if you look at the consequence of the busyness here, too, uh, I think that this is telling Martha misses out on hearing from Jesus, which is a big consequence of busyness, right? Uh, but then also she despises her sister uh, in the midst of it. So there are these relational consequences for us in that realm as well when we uh, become busy and overwhelmed with uh, even doing good things at times. Um, okay, so challenges and difficulties of rest. I'm going to ask a couple a couple of questions here. One, uh, let's just throw out a few reasons here. Why? We are so busy. What are some reasons for our busyness? Why is rest so difficult? Why is overwork a temptation? Kind of all asking the same things. Yeah, James and then Colby. School, running, work, homework, 40 hours of math, and working. Yeah. And then trying to... Yeah. Yeah. Lots lots on uh, on a schedule. Yeah. Yeah, we just have there, there are a lot of things we could be doing, a lot of things in some cases we need to be doing. Yeah, Colby. I think rest is difficult because a lot of times we forget that we need to rely on Jesus and we just look at the things that we've got to get done. You know, yeah. Oh man, look at all that laundry I've got to do, or you know, you can fill in the blanks for yourself, but yeah, you know, we forget that we need, we need to step away from that and sometimes and just rely on Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, there are real pressing things that you actually have to do. Um, and that's, I think that's what's hard too, because especially when that list kind of becomes never ending. Yeah, Jenny. I always tell the boys idle hands work only in the devil's workshop. So if they're idle, yeah. you know, Abraham's turning to those YouTube videos, which just drain something out of them, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not like they're doing anything beneficial in their midst. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point. And uh, actually, Buchanan's first chapter in the rest of God is actually about work. And I'll, we'll talk just a bit about that uh, as one of the reasons why rest is helpful is because we uh, and uh, a necessary part of resting well is working well. Um, and so most of the time our busyness can arise. Well, I shouldn't say most of the time. In many cases, busyness arises from laziness as well. Um, we are so busy and have all of this going because we're not working faithfully and diligently in the time allotted for that work. Um, 
which I don't want to talk more about right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had this conversation, interestingly enough, about a week ago with Isha, my daughter, about busyness. And we agreed, at least for the two of us, that the root of busyness is pride. Mm-hmm. I'm busy, therefore I'm important. I'm busy, therefore I exist. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, and I'm in control as well, and I'm going to cling to that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think there's also a sense where it's um, it's avoidance of things that are more difficult, like thinking and actually having things that are really meaningful. We can fill things up with trivial busyness rather than things that matter. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, Kreider's quote of it being kind of an existential hedge against the things that we don't really want to look at. Yeah, yeah, Beth. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it just kind of keeps things on. You never really do one thing. You're doing yeah. multiple things at one time because technology in our world today has made it so easy to do. Yeah. So many things. And then all of a sudden you've scheduled your whole world with 30 things in your day. And you're like, how did I get so busy? Right. Yeah. Yeah. The... The temptation is no doubt there, yeah, where you can really take advantage of those things and be doing a lot. Yeah, a couple more. <coughs> yeah, Jeanette. Uh, to go on then, just that we're always accessible because of iPhones or email or, you know, that there's never, like, people don't get to go home at the end of the day and be done with work. Yeah. They can always be reached. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead, Max. Yes. Uh, that's intentional uh, because I think they're tied up. I think it's easy to, um, and it, it's not. You could rest physically without resting spiritually. Yeah, without resting in Christ. Um, I I think the I don't know if it goes the other direction. Like you can rest in Christ to a degree without physical rest, but not for an extended amount of time, uh, I think. And I think that's part of, you know, recognizing our creaturely God given limits where we are embodied creatures and our bodies matter in that way. And so there, there's going to be a connection there between physical rest and rest for our souls. Uh, and that's what I, part of the I think the intention, even with um, with the Sabbath command in the Old Testament. Yeah, Sarah. Yeah. We have insomnia and have restless nights. And I think um, if we're not doing the Lord's work and in need of His rest, we don't go to Him for rest. Yeah, that's good. That's a great connection. Yeah. Let me throw out some others real quick here, and then we'll uh, we'll keep moving. Uh, one, our culture glorifies overworking. That we mentioned this earlier. That that's just that's part of it. Uh, one, uh, this is from some of you know 
uh, Sammy Rhodes, an RUF campus minister, who tweeted one morning. He said, the early morning email is the ultimate humble brag, which is totally true. Like, if you have that time stamp of, like, in the fives, like a 5 a.m. kind of email, it's, whoa, okay. Uh, and so, and this is what uh, Buchanan says. In, in a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. And then another quote from Rossenstock Hussey. It's the easiest thing in the world to work all the time compared to the incredible difficulty of spending one hour, sorry, one hour or one day of rest in a proper way. So, yeah, connected to pride and control, uh, we're attempting to prove our worth, justify our existence by just continuing and doing more. This is obviously connected to people pleasing. To stop working means you're going to have to say no to people when they ask you to do good things. Um, We're afraid if we don't do something, it's not going to get done. And then uh, this is some of what Matt mentioned as well. Busyness kills the heart. Uh, It might reveal something we're not real excited about here. Busyness makes us stop caring about the things we care about. And not only that, busyness also robs us of knowing God the way we might. And then... uh, Kevin DeYoung in his book, Crazy Busy, points to the third soil in this parable of the soils in Mark 4. Uh, I've got it printed there for you. These are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. So what DeYoung says about that is for most of us, it isn't heresy or rank apostasy that will derail our profession of faith. It's all the worries of life. You've got car repairs, then your water heater goes out, the kids need to see a doctor, you haven't done your taxes yet, your checkbook isn't balanced, you're behind on thank you notes, you promised your mother you'd come over and fix a faucet, you're behind on wedding planning, your boards are coming up, you have more applications to send out, your dissertation is due, your your refrigerator is empty, your lawn needs mowing, your curtains don't look right, your washing machine keeps rattling. This is life for most of us, and it's choking out spiritual life. As much as we must pray against the devil and pray for the persecuted church, In Jesus' thinking, the greater threat to the gospel is sheer exhaustion. Busyness kills more Christians than bullets. That's a good line, isn't it? Uh, I do want to say, too, there are legitimate stages of life where providentially you are ridiculously busy. Um, I don't have the quote, but you could look it up. There's something from Martin Lloyd-Jones that talks about the importance of a rich devotional life. And he says, uh, and everyone should seek this except for a young mom or something like that. (laughs) And it's really helpful to keep that in mind because I think particularly at that stage of life, it can be totally overwhelming. And there are so many moving, moving pieces that it becomes extraordinarily difficult for that season of life to find ways to make it work. So young moms, uh, this is important, but know that that's a unique thing. Yeah, Courtney. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Yeah, and that's that's so connected with silence and solitude as well as ways that that can be exposed in a really uncomfortable way. Let me keep moving here, James, because I need to get through these why we should actually do this now. Okay, why should we practice rest? Uh, the practice of rest enables us to image our God. We've talked about this. Uh, God is a God who works and then rests. Uh, when we rest, we honor the way God made us. Practice of rest breaks the pattern and addiction to busyness, rush, and hurry. It's where you think of Romans 12.1 and not being conformed to the ways and patterns of the world. This would be one of those. Uh, you get into a pattern, into these habits of busyness that are expected of us, and then so to rest becomes very difficult, but it breaks, begins to break that pattern for us. Uh, thirdly, it exposes our hearts, idols, and false selves. And you notice this has uh, been the case for almost every discipline we've talked about, and that's a good thing. Uh, DeYoung says there, the presence of extreme busyness in our lives may point to deeper problems. Uh, and maybe not may, it does point to deeper problems. A pervasive people-pleasing, a restless ambition, a malaise of meaninglessness. So while this is extraordinarily uncomfortable, and this could go with some of what Courtney said, uh, this is God's grace to us that those things are exposed, that those are brought to light, uh, that, that we see the ways in which we uh, are worshiping something other than God and the way we're putting forward this false self. Uh, practice of rest enables us to acknowledge our human li- limits and live within them. Uh, I'll leave that quote for, from Calhoun there. Uh, just say we hate acknowledging those limits, I think. That's really frustrating and hard for us. But it's important to remember that those limits are not going to go away in resurrected bodies. Uh, We will have limits for all eternity, and that's glorious and God intended. The practice of rest enables us to delight in God, family, seasons, meals, and all good gifts of creation. Uh, And a way to say this in a way that Buchanan does is that it enables us to pay attention. This is the essence of a Sabbath heart, paying attention. It's being fully present wholly awake in each moment. You just think about the way that busyness and uh, your to-do list can crowd out your time with friends, with family, with loved ones, where because in the background you have this this thing happening that you're thinking about your to-do list, what you need to do next, that you are not, you're physically present, but you're not wholly present with these people in that moment. You're not paying attention. Uh, and then it brings thankfulness and gratitude as well as we do begin to pay attention and enter into this and enjoy it. And this is really hard, uh, but it's, it results in, uh, in a real joy and delight in God. Uh, and then this has been said, practice of rest is an embodied act of entrusting yourself to God. Uh, great quote from Buchanan. If God works all things together for good, those who love him and are called to his purposes, you can relax. If he doesn't, start worrying. If God can take any mess, any mishap, any wastage, any wreckage, any anything and choreograph beauty and meaning from it, then you can take a day off. If he can't, get busy. Either God's always at work watching the city, building the house, or you need to try harder. Either God is good and in control or it all depends on you. It's helpful. Yeah. Uh, Practice of rest creates space for restorative time with Jesus. Kind of goes back to Matthew 11 there. Uh, It enables us to enjoy God's good gift of work. Remember, work is good. It it is now affected and impacted by the curse. But there's something good about work. And as we rest rightly, we can work rightly and faithfully 
As we said earlier, busyness can oftentimes just be laziness. How do we begin to practice this? Uh, Work faithfully in the time allotted for work. Creating a realistic schedule can help in this. Uh, Practice silence and solitude as complementary disciplines. Buchanan makes the point that people who go on Sabbath, uh, like these um, real Sabbaths, um, what's the sabbaticals? That's the word I'm looking for. They go on sabbaticals and they have a horrible time because they have no practices of rest in their everyday lives. And so they think this one time thing is going to just revolutionize it. Oftentimes it doesn't do much unless you are uh, regularly in silent solitude and rest in your ordinary lives. Uh, Plan ahead for your day of rest. Discuss with roommates, family members how you can arrange regular patterns of rest. Uh, This is a big one. Don't check your email outside of work hours. I know that seems crazy. Um, Or maybe at least not on Sundays. Or maybe at least not for like a portion of Sunday. Uh, Maybe even turn your phone off for a time. Um, Take a break from social media. Use your vacation days. There's some questions uh, for reflection. And then two books to read. Both of which are uh, Crazy Busy is short. And he does it on purpose. That one's out on the book table. Rest of God, I think, is out. It was out there. Uh, but we'll get some more. Let me pray for us as we rushed through the end of this. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in Christ you give us rest. We thank you that we can rest from our labors uh, to please you out of a, a slavish fear of what might happen otherwise. But now we can seek you and walk after you and pursue you and obey you because of what Jesus has done for us. Because we know that we are fully accepted, fully loved, that we are your children, that we are your beloved. We're the objects of your affection. And Lord, we pray that we would uh, enter into worship now, mindful of that, and that we would worship you, our Father, uh, as those who have received your great love and grace to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.